The very first word of the rule of St. Benedict is asculta, which is pay attention or listen. That's important. That's the very first word. Mm. And then through the rule, what you see is this pay attention to the word, pay attention to the abbot, pay attention to each other, pay attention to the guests because it's actually Jesus you're hosting. Mm. But it's also not without definition. It's almost like the homeless thing. We're coming back full circle. You know, he's, a, he, he's funny with guests. He's, it's not, there's no, it's not interminable with guests. It's welcome them for, I think it's seven days. <laughs> and then it but then basically <laughs> welcome them to leave because unless, unless they're like an inquirer mm -hmm. coming to like check out joining this house, they're going to start to influence this house. This house actually has a culture and the culture can influence a guest. But if the guest stays too long, the guest can influence the culture. podcast from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. TheInterviewPodcast.org is our website where all the conversations that we've had are housed. The archive is there. And also the way for you to monetarily support the show. We are funded solely on the value for value model that states we provide content, put it out to you with no barrier to entry. If you get value out of the show, and that has a dollar amount attached to it. Click on the donate button today. Send it back our way. We are grateful for all the support we get on this show. We couldn't do it without you. Today on the show, Pastor Nathan Hoff from Trinity Lutheran Church in San Pedro, California. Join me today. We had the opportunity to spend a week together last week on Lake Carlos in Alexandria, Minnesota. Nathan offered a picture into what community looks like and possibly how we should be doing church for real. I appreciate his time sitting down with us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I certainly did. Let's get right into it. Thanks for listening. Nathan, Nate, what do you prefer? Yeah, you should, well, it's funny because I go by Nathan by everybody, except somehow people that knew me in college started calling me Nate. And then I went to a small college in the Pacific Northwest called the Lutheran Bible Institute, which is in Issaquah, Washington, outside of Seattle, or it was. And this camp that you and I are talking at, you know, had a kind of a historical connection with right. that movement. And so I've always been Nate here at okay. Mount Carmel, too. And I <laughs> so, think it comes from that. Well, I wonder because I hear everyone talk about Nate Hoff. Yeah, uh, Nate. Yeah. You know, I guess you don't want to. But I go by. I, I'm happy with anything. My actual name's Nathaniel, but no one calls me that. Not even my mom when oh, I'm so in it's trouble. It's like double shortened. It is. Yeah, I got Interesting. <laughs> Keep on getting shorter. <laughs> right. uh, well, I've been intrigued a little bit, or a lot, with you because I've heard your name. We've been coming here for seven years, I think, uh, seven or eight years. And it's been fascinating because everyone talks about Nate Hoff, <laughs> and this guy is just fantastic. And it's like, okay, that's cool. I mean, I, not being Lutheran myself, right. I don't know, I don't work, swim in that, you know, yeah, that right. stream. Uh, so I don't know the people. Like Bill Yonker was here, you know, everyone, oh, Bill Yonker. 
and a great guy totally. who got to know him great guy yep. um, and so you're up there and this week you've been one of the speakers and it's been so cool because I can see what people see in you and it's a it's not it feels very genuine and it feels very fatherly um, do you feel that that is kind of a calling to kind of be that um, I guess shepherd would be a decent term yeah I mean I'm just I find myself just continually drawn to that what that what you're talking about actually I mean the one of the main verses for me is Paul's you know just kind of like fatherly word to the Corinthians like you have guides like many guides but you don't have many fathers and um, then the kind of pastoral tradition of like Eugene Peterson that just looked around at the American thing and went there's a bunch of CEOs there's definitely a bunch of leaders leadership is just a huge focus for pastoral ministry there's CEOs what he called shopkeepers and same as Paul would say I just think there's not many fathers and there's such a I feel like I feel like there's almost a universal what I call covenant itch you know just this itch in every human being longing for some kind of you know never give up never run out never ending covenantal kind of the, the covenant that God talks about in his word and so we've just seen that, you know, and that's definitely in our, both in the church, but also in the, we, we started a young adult community that maybe we'll talk about a little bit, but um, just almost a universal desire for that parental kind of, not, not someone to tell you what to do or boss you around. I'm not talking, we've, we've all seen like authoritarian structures, you know, but more someone who believes in you, kind of like it roots for you, says, I actually see a destiny for you, like a patriarch in the Old Testament almost, you know, that says, it's not outside the realm of possibility that you could do that with God's help, you know, and to kind of, I don't know, speak those, those blessing words that that fathers speak and and likewise my wife kind of serves in a motherly function mm -hmm. um, we've run with charismatics a lot of our life and Pentecostals a lot of our life and we've we've experienced some prophetic words toward that end too to be honest you know just that this is some kind of particular area of of calling is um, is that and I don't know. I, I've seen it abused so many times too. I, I'm hesitant talking about that, honestly, because I just seen the manipulation that can come, and um, that authoritarian kind of power, kind of so, structure. So the, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that is something that seems to be prevalent in the American church, and it may be elsewhere too. But I, you know, we look here. Yeah. Um, is the, I don't know if corruption is the right word, but maybe it's the the power struggle yeah. that arises in pastoral ministry mm -hmm. um, how do you keep from letting that creep in i kind of think it's staying close to the ground in a way i mean i you know I, what you said is it feels like a huge compliment to me just your reflection is very kind um, but I know myself, I know myself more than you know me. And I, I also can relate to Paul when he says he's the chief of sinners, you know, and I, I'm actually the worst sinner I know too. And uh, so that's not feigned, 
you know, it's not like, uh, it's not put on, it's real. Like I actually, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I realize that just as much as anybody I pastor needs the grace of God, I, I need the grace of God. I mean, I'm, I need the very thing I preach, which keeps me preaching the gospel. I mean, if I always need the gospel, then it keeps me preaching the gospel, you know, drawing us back to that, that living water that, um, really only Jesus is my hope. So I think that's a, I don't want to say I'm, it's because I'm so humble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I do think there's something about just a, um, realistic view of our own frailty. I probably spent a lot of my life trying to prove something cause I, you know, I have some learning disabilities and some other things that I kind of didn't think I was smart. I didn't think I was, cause I, wasn't as smart as the other kids, you know, in the ways that it's tracked in school. Uh, uh, explain that. What do you mean? Like, what, well, what, just what like kinds of disability. Kind yeah. of dis definitely math. Oh man, yeah. I you know I just was terrible at math. Dyslexia, you know, pretty mm -hmm. profound dyslexia. Um, and somehow, I mean, just I, you know, it wasn't really that treated. Um, so it was more. I more adapted. Yeah. And that adapt adaptation actually served to be a, I think, to a great gift for me. Well, you know, some yeah, you yeah, you do, and you kind of know what you want to say. As in my line of work, I do actually have to get. It's not just getting a sermon or getting a teaching. You know, it's like I have something I want to say, and I need to say, and um, I know what I need to say or want to say, um, and then I can be present in the moment, you know what I mean? And there's things that are coming to mind or connections in the listening congregation, you know, and uh, it ends up being, you know, a more living mm -hmm. moment. So are, do you, uh, are you a memorizer? No. Because <laughs> uh, one of the things I noticed yeah. just this morning in, yeah. in uh, your session today, uh, and then it reminded me over the week yeah. was, and good good presenters yeah. do this yeah. and it's no filler words yeah. that are unnecessary and the ability to fluidly wrap up a thought and then transition to the next thought mm -hmm. smooth and i felt that really good today there's a couple times where you, you just got that and it was like that's all that needs to be said yeah and then to move on so to hear that you struggled with some yeah. of that early on is fascinating because oh, yeah it clearly is a gift. Well, and you know, thank God for recording messages and then, you know, video <laughs> live streaming. You start to look and go, I say, you know, at the end of everything, you know, or, you know, you know, you know, and then you kind of, you know, yeah. so painful that you do have to <laughs> address well, those things. Yeah. Um, so you are in currently in Southern California, San Pedro. That is south, south of LA? A, south of LA, yep. If you take the 110, which goes either up to Pasadena from LA or down to San Pedro, where we are, cuts straight through. And that is uh, where you were born, correct? That is, yep. I was born in San Pedro. I was born a block away from where the church is that I serve and where I live. Really? Yeah, so I haven't gone come far. So we're currently sitting in the middle of the state, of the country. Yep. In the north, yep. Minnesota. Um, you were born in California? Yep. Is the only connection to Mount Carmel here, the college in Seattle or Washington? We, we had a long 
We had a long connection with the Lutheran Bible Institute movement. Okay. Yeah, my, my grandma was a um, nursing student at Fairview Hospital in Minneapolis. Back in the day, a lot of nursing students took classes at LBI, Bible classes, okay. Yeah, which was in Minneapolis at that time. My parents met at Lutheran Bible Institute in Seattle. You know, my wife and I, our parents knew each other from those old days, but we both ended up going to that school as well. So yeah, we have kind of a long, long history. And then there's a long time um, director couple at this camp, Johan and Sonia Hinderley, that people talk about. Um, and they're really just good friends of ours. Um, and then I've been friends with the other directors who've been here through the years too. So yeah, it's just become a relational, hard to tell when it starts and stops and where it goes, but yeah. So how long have you been pastor in Trinity, where you're at. Yep, at Trinity, I've been there. It'll be 18 years in October. Oh, we came there in 2005. Is that your first church? I had, I had a, my first call was actually in the northern suburbs of Minneapolis, a town called Anoka. Okay. The Halloween capital of the world. Nice. <laughs> known for uh, giving us Garrison Keeler. Uh, yep. That's He's right. also from Anoka, so. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But we moved around quite a bit. I've lived in, uh, like I told you before, California, Oregon, Washington. Graduated high school in Washington, went to college in Washington. Uh, lived in Minneapolis-St. Paul Seminary and grew up some in uh, southern Minnesota. Lived in Texas for a year when my dad was on church internship. And my dad went to seminary in Iowa, so we lived there for three years. Wow. We lived in Norway for one year, my wife and I. So, yeah, we've, we've lived it's a lot around. of places. Awesome. But, yeah, almost 18 years in one place now. What keeps you there? <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. I didn't get to it in this morning's teaching. I was, I've been talking about kind of St. Benedict and stability and the vow of stability. And I kind of wonder sometimes how it interweaves with my personal life because of like so much moving around in most of my life, which, you know, it's kind of a instability. And it's funny because I don't think my parents are unstable people. We didn't move because of instability, but in a way it kind of planted in me kind of a wanderlust, like, okay, what's next? You know what I mean? Right. I figured this enough, place out. Yeah, let's, yeah, I, I, I and, and also, I kind of know these people and I'm kind of tired of this or that and that let's let's find something new you know and uh, it has been kind of through gritted teeth at a couple mm -hmm. times in those 18 years and I'm glad for it looking back I'm glad we stayed every single time uh, because some kind of deeper rootedness deeper um, kind of embeddedness in our local local place took place um and i've experienced now i mean these you know in some ways i start our town is super catholic actually demographically it's you know mostly catholic croatians italians latino um popular are the big three population in our town and um so Protestants in general, evangelicals in general, are big minority, you know, a small minority, I should say, um, in, in San Pedro. But in some ways, you know, the Catholic priests have come and gone. Other pastors have come and gone. Um, so in some ways, I get to be in that role of pastoring the neighborhood. Right. And that, I, I didn't know how much fun that would be, actually, how much I'd enjoy that. Um, and that's kind of an old-fashioned feeling thing in, in L.A., you know, and that 
that just feels like an honor. And, and LA is just so vital. I mean, it's vital with creativity. There's so there's at simultaneously a ton of hope. People come with all this hope to LA from Mexico or other Latin American countries, from the Midwest or the South. Some some places where it's like I need to try something new. Let's yeah, go to LA. It's opportunity that's being sought. There. They're seeking opportunity. Likewise, tons of despair because their hope, the hope that they're putting <laughs> their hope in, is not panning <laughs> out. You know, generally. And so, yeah, to me, it's I. It's in a way I can't imagine ministry in another place now because it's so. There's nothing subtle in LA. Like, if you think of the subtleties of the Midwest, the indirect speech of the Midwest, or if you think of, uh, I don't know, even some more like, well, even wealthy areas around where we live. You know, there's a certain level of kind of mask wearing, um, or have to kind of keep it together. And where I live, it's like the most halfway houses west of the Mississippi, you know. And people, I remember I, when I moved from Minneapolis to L.A., in Minneapolis, I'd been there for a few years. And just after a few years, a few people started coming to my study and saying, could we talk this week? Oh, sure. You know, and they'd say, I, I, I can't top secret, but I think I might be struggling with depression. And there's like shame connected with that conversation. I could tell, you know, my first week in out first week in LA, I like had a line going out my door. I mean, <laughs> sexual perversions, chemical abuses and mental health things. I was just like, Oh man, it's a whole different thing. But it's like, now I kind of go, it would be hard to kind of parse through the, the more, complicated kind of uh, mask wearing right. areas. Yeah, I don't know. I that's that's just some reflection I guess on why I love being in LA. My wife's family's there, so it's good to be by there by her family. Yeah, I like our town. It doesn't feel like home. One thing I do, you know, I had a, I worked with a pastor once and he always bought um, salvage cars like salvage title and he'd get tired of them. And then he said, all I have to do is I have to wash it. And then I kind of go, I'm going to keep it for a while. And um, so I used to, I think date night's kind of like that in marriage too. You know, it's like, you got to kind of <laughs> go away. You know what I mean? And remember why you fell in love. And so I've done this thing lately where I just write a letter to LA, you know? Really? Yeah, because I used to just kind of judge mm -hmm. stuff about it. You know, I mean, it's like a concrete jungle and there's a lot that's easy to judge yeah. the, the way that homelessness is being dealt with just the ubiquitous presence of pot smoke everywhere <laughs> i mean i'll just be honest there's things that i just like is not my favorite yeah. and uh, but i've begun writing letters every once in a while to la and that kind of helps because then i start to kind of nurture mm -hmm. feelings of affection for it so what I guess not. Well, who knows? We'll see where this goes. Yeah. Um, the homelessness thing is a problem. Yeah. And it's visible around the country. It's being talked about. And, yeah. and now it's, I mean, it's a political baseball now oh, or yeah. football yeah. being tossed about. Yeah. Um, is it, I mean, the, the nature of the climate yeah. creates an opportunity. Oh, yeah. As far as like natural climate, it's yeah. Warm where would you rather be right. in the winter, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, not here. That's no, for sure. Right. Uh, yeah, our town we get almost no transient life because no. six months a year it's ten below. Right. So uh, <laughs> you can't really hang out under the bridge. Yeah. Right. Uh, but what is the answer 
that's not because they clearly don't have it. No. I'll you know so much of it I think is counterintuitive because the what I've heard is there's you know basically the road to hell is paved with good intentions you know and there's people that I'll just bring sandwiches down to the encampment you know and the thing that was helpful in our town actually was there was like a symposium at the big old theater downtown and it was people from the left and people from the right it was like law enforcement blue yeah. and it was like Bernie Sanders you know people on the other side and they said we disagree about a lot but they said here's everything that we agree about and they told they told us every on the homeless issue mm -hmm. Here's everything we agree about on the homeless issue. And that was the most constructive thing I've ever been at. Because they said, uh, building little tiny houses on a street doesn't work. It turns them into dens of right. drugs and pimp houses in an hour. You know what I mean? Like, And they're like, churches come down to Skid Row and they try to help, you know, and, and it just falls into the hands of bad guys immediately. You know, so they're saying, uh, like in our in our town, we have one point of ent entry right now um, for services. Okay. So before it was like you have to get lunch at the Catholic Church and you have to get dinner, you know, mm -hmm. once a week at different Protestant churches, and you have temporary housing, and you get have to get documentation down at the DMV. The thing is, what you're dealing with is usually people with a cocktail of problems, which you know. Right. which are huge drug abuse typically. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes the drug abuse is anesthetization, which I can never say, um, for mental health issues. Yeah. Um, and, and then that connected with lost documents, almost always. Really? No driver, you know, they, maybe they had one, or, but they don't have the identification they need to kind of get what they need. So, you know, you put those three together, I mean, you think it, it's hard for me to go to the DMV. Yeah. And I don't have two of the issues. Mm -hmm. um, so they have this one point of entry. It doesn't mean that they do everything, but in our, in our town, it's called Harbor Interfaith. And, but they're the clearinghouse. They look at the person, they go, okay, you need documentation. And it appears that maybe you need some help with, are you on medication or, you know, and... Um, okay, now we're going to connect you to Trinity because they've got a food pantry. We've got to tr connect you to the Catholic Church because they got lunch every day. Um, Salvation Army has some adult daycare stuff. we got this list of volunteers from the Methodist Church that will take you to the DMV. Um, so it's kind of, it, it, the thing is, people that, they they say the average it takes the average and I I'll, I'm making this up but it takes ten people to tell them the same thing for them to do it maybe it's maybe it's eight or maybe it's fifteen I forget but and sometimes it's as simple as it's a veteran and it's not until a veteran tells them oh have you gone to Harbor oh, Interface so you have to hear it from the right person yep or if it's an abused woman it's another woman who tells have you thought about Harbor Interface. So it's, in, it's nice for us all to have one common word. It's not solving it, uh, but it's helping. Um, then there's a lot of things everybody just, I mean, if you, give, if you bring a box of sandwiches down to the homeless encampment, both far left and far right say, 
that actually just keeps them at the homeless encampment one more yeah, meal. Yeah, then they'll just wait for another, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're perpetuating this for another meal. Yeah. And so it's like, it's that typical thing, whether it's in aid to other countries or helping homeless or church missions a lot of times too. You know, like that kind of dependency model where there's a hero Right. And uh, we want it to be us. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know how it's... Here's my, here's my bottom line view, is a, a pretty good percentage are, are, are drug-related homelessness, addiction-related homelessness. And typically those, the people that are addiction, addicted-related homeless want to live near each other. Okay. For the ease so they of, will they'll go to a tent city. Yep. Is um, that for access to more drugs? Which is yeah, or for access, access to drugs. Community. No, access to drugs. Oh, really? okay. Yeah. I think so because it's not a safe place to live. Now, that population is very different than someone who's living in their car. They don't want to live near a tent city, hmm. and they don't typically. I'm not saying they never have an addiction problem, but typically they're like on that on that verge you know what i mean and it's a housing cost issue or a marriage that is split up but they need to kind of stay close to they want to stay close to their kids or there and there's some cool things happening in la with um parking lot parking lot outreach where you'll get into a program and it's usually a very low tolerance for addiction or leaving the bathrooms nasty. But it's typically people who don't want to be homeless. They're not looking for access to drugs. They really have fallen on hard times. And the best they can do is to live in their car, which is better than some other options. Right. And so there's a safe parking lot. Um, the problem is it's just homelessness is homelessness to the general population. Yeah. And when you say, if I say, for instance, boy, it'd be cool if we thought about this parking lot thing where they're in by, they're in by 9 p.m. and they're out by 7 a.m. and we're not using our church parking lot at that time anyway. Mm -hmm. It's a, like you said, I mean, it's a football that's on fire actually because all the neighbors are like, you're moving a tent city into your church parking lot. <laughs> And that actually, um, I mean, I, I know this scenario because that happened, <laughs> you know, and I had just begun talking because we're right next to a Jewish synagogue, which is right next to a Presbyterian church. And we're in an urban area. So we have all three of us have just very small little parking lots, you know, old fashioned kind of parking lots, not not near enough for our churches or synagogue to for the people. But and we thought, wonder if we could do something together where like one of us could provide you know, showers and bathrooms, um, and we could kind of work together. We just said, I wonder if, well. <laughs> People heard that as we're doing. Well, and I didn't even <laughs> say, I didn't tell a soul, because I knew, I'm like, I got to figure out a way to make this, like, finesse it, you know. But I'm here, was it a year ago or two years ago? I forget when it was. I was actually at camp, and my phone starts blowing up. I hadn't told a, I hadn't told one I don't even think I told my wife this idea. I mean I just talked to the rabbi actually. And all of a sudden 
everybody's texting me, Nathan, what are you thinking? We can't house homeless people in our park. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> well, the local newspaper got word of it from like the social justice guy at the synagogue. And he said something like, the rabbi's been talking to Pastor Nathan Hoff at Trinity, you know, and we had not made any decisions or anything, but um, so that just put a kibosh on it. But in a way I was, I was so mad at the newspaper too, because the newspaper, this is like principalities and powers stuff to me a little bit, systemic kind of stuff, because the newspaper has, they have, uh, they have, it's in their best interest to create drama. Correct. <laughs> well, they can even sell They can sell newspapers, ads. right? And so maybe they update it the next day, but the damage has already been done and we can't go anywhere after that. So, yeah, I do think, I think dealing with, I think dealing with homelessness as different groups is important though. I don't know what the, the ish, the solution is for the, the, honestly, for the addicted, the one that wants to be addicted and the one that is, that is their treatment for some kind of mental health concern. I do not know. Has there been any research done, any exploration of some of the root cause of this and, and, and people with ability to make change yeah. looking there and seeing, okay, this is something that we can at least start to address to keep new people right. from joining this or falling into this. I know there's a high percentage that are, for instance, veteran related because one of the hotels in our town just got claimed by, I don't know who, the Veterans Administration or something as, as rehabilitating housing for Really? For veterans okay. in particular. So, um, and I could say the same about women who've been affected by domestic mm -hmm. violence. So I, all, I, it would just be conjecture on my part yeah. though, statistically. I mean, it's, I'm sure there's a high percentage of trauma though that's connected with mm -hmm. that background. Yeah. Well, I just wonder, you know, the, the solution that is at least in the public view a lot of times is uh, we need more housing. We just need housing. Houses are all we need and that's going to answer the answer the question. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the answer. Right. Um, so it feels like there's more. There needs to be something di deeper yeah. that you can figure out. And, you know, I've heard other people talk a little bit about it and the concept of community and family. Mm -hmm. Seems like that is... A loss of that yeah. does drive you to extremes. Yeah, gosh, and, I think so too. And it almost is cyclical, isn't it? Because it's like that, that loss, that isolation, that um, you know, oftentimes comes with behavior that is hard to be around. Yeah. And so it is a cycle toward greater isolation, yeah. greater shame, greater. I mean, we talk about that in our young adult community too because we have, well we have 33 people in our young adult community high school senior through 29 and they're great but it's a whole spectrum of people you know what I mean and even in the leadership of it you know we're we're cognizant that we're not just looking for um, the impressive mm -hmm. young adults mm -hmm. you know the people that you want to put on your website or on your you know but we want, we, we know that we can, because we have a fair amount of, I think, rootedness, health in our community, 
we're like we could ha we could handle a intern that's that is on the spectrum for instance or is um, how do we how do we create a culture of belonging that says we want you yeah. um, but yeah you think if I in a sense every kind of community almost needs to do that don't they you know we're we all take our people yeah but it, it, it's work yeah definitely yeah it's work <laughs> so one of the big drives that you've been hammering home at least is what I've been getting yeah. out of this week is and it, it resonates because over the last three years you know you we've really had to explore why we do what we do yeah you know COVID really allowed us it gave us an opportunity mm. to examine our practices yeah and are they necessary or not yeah uh, or are they the best maybe yeah. they're not the best way um, but this idea you know you, you mentioned belonging yeah. um, community yeah. church life um, how are those tied together mm -hmm. yeah I think you're right too about these last years I mean the most introverted people I know have also not seen COVID as a great blessing. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they're happy not to be as constantly on. Yeah. But that, you know, and endemic of of loneliness and yeah, how are they tied together? I mean, I talked to a few people even this week saying, you know, our our church is a good church. You know, what I mean, like we, it's good teaching and it's um, faithful. Uh, but we don't like spend a lot of time with each other. You know what I mean? We don't. And I wonder sometimes, some, sometimes I think our, the, our expectations of the church aren't quite fair. It can't be everything to us. You know, it can't meet all of our needs. One person I, I like said, they kind of feel uncomfortable when we talk about the church as a family, but then they suggested maybe a better image would be the extended family yeah you know yeah. that there is a sense of relatability and familial mm -hmm. love and care or the old-fashioned city block yeah you know where you, where you knew all of your you know your, your that was your core group of friends yep. you know the the parents knew each other and yeah. you know you're down at Susie's house and yeah. you know so that that block concept yeah uh, I know growing up we were digging through old videos from uh, our childhood because a friend of mine's mom passed away a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and so my mom was dragging out all the old tapes yep. and so we were going through them all and it struck me I, I kind of didn't really put it together but it struck me how much time on video yeah as a church we were together yeah. outside of the church building yeah we did everything together yeah it what it, it was our it was our life. It was our yeah. our community. It was yeah. our extended family. It yeah. really was that. Uh, I think that's missing today in yeah. a lot of aspects. I do too. I do too. I think we're we're vulnerable to it too. Um, another thing I didn't get to this morning in my teaching was the this thought about the common table, how healthy it is actually. The you think of eating even like most of the time that disorders connected to eating don't happen at the table. Oh, they're in isolation. Aren't they? Right. That they're out yeah. here. So like there's, there's feasting at the table, 
but then there's feasting not at the table. Mm. So feasting not at the table would be like uh, binging. Yeah. Um, there's fasting, like we're gonna, this is the normal time we eat, but we're taking a break from eating, but it ha it's not ripping us out of community. But you think of what fasting is like apart from community is, you know, purging possibly, or um, so that's in the, that's in the eating area. Um, but you think about it in shopping, you know what I mean? There, there's this sense of like it belonging together that if it's if it's separated from community can e easily just become no shopaholic right. or you know like or at home kind of like <laughs> I had, I did a you know I did a funeral for a lady she's the sweetest old lady at church and um, her husband calls and says I'm gonna need a little help getting some of her clothes to uh, the um, we have a real close partnership with his nesting place place with which is a like home front with mothers and i'm like oh great i'll come over with my car and we'll throw the stuff in the trunk it was like three trips with the church <laughs> van because <laughs> little God. did i know she had a addiction to the home shopping network wow. this is like pre-amazon <laughs> and i was like oh thank god for her she didn't have amazon yeah. i mean it was everything had plastic still it all had its own new hanger and but I know that wasn't done in community. You know, that was that was in isolation. Our use of alcohol. I mean, it, in some ways, you know, you think the some of the lowest forms of alcoholism aren't people necessarily who don't use alcohol, but who use it in community. I'm thinking of like Jewish use, yeah. you know, with uh, holiday use or something. Supposedly, I've heard observant Jews are the lowest forms of alcoholics and and it's not because they don't drink but because they it's, it's done together it, it's done together right. you know what i mean it, mm -hmm. it adds to the convivial yeah. you know life of their so i think that common table that family that extended family the neighborhood that community it draws us into health you know um of course alcoholics anonymous says isolation is death you know and i i just think that's that's true Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, and I think the church has the potential of being a pretty interesting community in that way because we're different, generally different ages and coming from some different backgrounds. Um, I mean, part of the danger of it is, is just one more, it's just one more confirmation bias in a world that's filled with that, you know, and if that's the case, you know, I mean, there's some, the thing is, uh, there's this old Swedish theologian, Anders Nygren, who wrote a book called Agape and Eros on love. And the way he defined Eros, of course, it, it's like erotic kind of love, but the way he described it was what he called acquisitive love love that it wants to acquire something, mm -hmm. take something, have something, um, which of course would be like when we think of eroticism, yeah. you know what I mean? It's something I want to consume in a way. Um, but he, he said there's, a, there's kind of an erotic kind of love in organizations that are all like-minded mm. on everything mm -hmm. because it's a lot of backslapping. You know, like, oh yeah, you're totally right. And there's something kind of acquisitive about that, whereas agape is loving something different, typically, not for the sake of getting the back, you know, a slap on the back, but um, 
the self-giving, self-donating right. kind of love of the other. And so I think the church in America, at least, especially, I mean, people aren't picking church. They're saying people aren't picking churches based on even confession of faith anymore as much as posture toward the culture. Correct. Yes. That, yeah. I mean, people yeah. could give or take what they believe about baptism or the end times or mm-hmm. maybe women's roles or something. But if they're, if, if they're either, you know, pro or against engaging with culture, disengaging, that's the thing that is kind of the, the thing that's a, uh, you know, a no for some people. The, uh, Early on this week, you mentioned the the scary word that everyone's glomming onto, this deconstruction word. And what I've noticed it when it's used uh, by the youth, you know, the yeah. the 20-somethings is yeah. kind of where the yeah. ones that I've really paid attention to is they have deconstructed their faith to the point of, and, and what it looks like they're doing is they're, they're balanced, they're trying to compare the faith that they were taught mm-hmm to what they feel today right yeah based on the whims of culture yeah and they're saying well this doesn't line up to this and so this is now more important yeah to this i can't make my culture line up to my god so my god must line up to my culture and he doesn't yeah so then i will do nothing and so they are deconstructing not so they can grow in their faith right but so they can avoid their faith yes it's what it feels like yeah I, I've struggled so much with the, I, well, I've, it's not just the word deconstruction, but with a lot of words, actually. I mean, I feel like ambiguity is a weapon in some ways. Like, if if I can make a word a boogeyman in some way, without kind of defining what I mean by it. I'll give an example. When I first came in as an early preacher, I could say something kind of cynical or, or judgy about Hollywood, the culture, politicians, and hope for the goodwill of my listener to fill in what they thought I was, mm-hmm. who I thought I was being cynical or judgmental about. And that, to me, that's kind of a cheap communication shot. You know what I mean? It's not, um, it's not defined. It's, it's purposely undefined to try to get points with my <laughs> listeners. Yeah. And the ambiguity is tool I can use. And I kind of feel like that with deconstruction in, in some ways on both sides of it, like on the, on the one side, oh, all these, you know, young people deconstructing and, um, but I want to say, well, what is the, what is that? What is the deconstructing? Tell me what that actually is. What, what are we talking about? And on the other hand, calling everything that a young person does deconstruction oftentimes is just a rejection of the Christian ethical life or the moral imperatives 
mm-hmm. of a Christian, biblically it's almost, yeah, speaking. It's almost like they have tried to co-opt that word to make to justify and make it feel good right. about them rejecting God. Right. Yeah. So I do think there's a few, I think there's a few categories of deconstruction. Um, I wrote an article about that in a Mockingbird, the online thing a while back called um, Deconstruction Disambiguated or something like that, which is saying, what actually are we talking about? Are we talking about, I went to, it's my first year of college. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to do what I darn well please, like right. morally, yeah. you know, that's kind of different, I think, than my faith was wrapped up in another narrative. Mm-hmm. My faith was wrapped up in progressivism or my faith was wrapped up in national Christian nationalism or my faith was wrapped up in and I'm trying to detangle that's another word people are using right. or you know trying to kind of like see where these tentacles are that and if I'm not if I'm no longer what that thing was wrapped up in does that mean I'm no longer a Christian you know so that's a very different thing than I want to do what I darn well please morally right yeah, uh, seeking to understand what you believe and why yeah. is actually good. Right. So I think that, I think the, I'm amazed when I watch like the BBC and they actually do an interview of politicians. Mm-hmm. They ask follow-up questions. I mean, they don't, they're no softballs. They just, they keep pushing. I mean, in a nice British way, but I mean, kind of like, I thought, I'd love to hear that in America, you know, but we just let, we just let people say things and don't go, what do you actually mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that in a whole bunch. Of, I'd love to know. I really would love to know what what each person thinks being woke is, for instance. You know, I mean, what does that actually mean? Because mm-hmm. there's some uses of it that I go, that, yeah, that, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's others that are just, it's almost useful in the mouth of a person to kind of lump everything together mm-hmm. you know i've heard some people say you you might want to be careful if your pastor starts talking about justice issues that they're not woke and i'm thinking well you we can't define it jeremiah amos i mean <laughs> jesus for goodness sake you know were they so i don't want to be suspicious of of that but i do want to define what people are talking about well, you almost have to agree on term definitions before you can have a conversation that's yeah. meaningful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just like in a you know a legal document, uh, a city code, for example. Yeah. Half of that code is defining the terms. Sure. So then, when they're used later, you know what that means. Sure. So yeah, you almost have to have definitions, uh, which I mean, as we see nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. That's fluid now. You know, it, the definition, yep. truth is no longer true. No, right. Yeah. That's a problem. It is. Yeah. Well, when we. You think the cultural, the cultural breakdown is certainly in the ethical area, in the shared narrative. I, when I think of shared narrative, too, I'm thinking big. I, I don't just mean in our multicultural kind of thing, but in the American culture, let's say, you know. Like, does America start in 1776 or does it start in 1619? Or does it start, you know what I mean? It, those are different narratives. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, there's some legitimacy to the story in, in different ways. But I think part of the huge loss in cultural breakdown is the shared use of language that we're, right. we're talking past each other and not either not defining what we're talking about or redefining what we're talking about. 
Um, yeah, I'd love, and how do we do that except if we have goodwill? I don't think we can even do it unless we have a little goodwill for each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have yeah. to feel safe enough to have a real conversation. Yep. And if you know that you're going into, you know, an abuse situation, yep. where if you say the wrong thing, you'll get attacked. And if you, if they're looking for a gotcha, if, if you, all you can do is self-censor, if cancel culture just silences absolutely everybody, mm -hmm. all that stuff is an environment, I feel like, where the conversation even about def, you know, what we're talking right. about can't even happen. Yeah. Well, it, it's one of my guiding lights in this specific show. Um, my goal is the idea that freedom of speech is actually that. And, and it's not freedom to say the things that are fun and fluffy and fuzzy. Yeah. It's the freedom to be able to say things that are hard to hear, yeah. that might be messy, yeah. and that may be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Right. But the only way we can figure out if they're wrong is to say them. Right. And then hear them and talk about it. Yes. But if we're not allowed to have real conversation around what we mean by that you know what, right. what does it mean to be racist what does that even yeah. mean i don't know and, okay let's and, talk about it and if we're talking just from an american i mean we have this wonderful tradition of that we want a more perfect union yeah. you know what i mean that and how do we how do we even get to that if we can't yeah. if we can't even talk to each other which i mean not that the church should figure out political speech i don't i, I don't think that's the church's main goal Man, I wish the church potluck was a place where, where people could could talk to each other, yeah. um, and not in a way that's just sussing out who they voted for or. Yeah. And then, well, and making sure they voted for the right one. Yeah. Because then, at that point, you know, then we're picking sides. Yeah. In friendship. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah, that's odd. That's too bad. Um, I you were talking about Benedict yeah. this morning, and when he built the. The his Abbey. The Abbey, yeah. Um, you focused on two places, the altar, yeah. where, they, where they met for prayer, yeah. and their food, where they ate, yeah. their table. Um, there's a TV show on Netflix, I think, called Somebody Feed Phil. Oh, it's my, I love that show. I love that show. I love that show. It is quirky. It is. But the piece that is so prevalent, and it just speaks to me, yeah. is that he goes to every culture, yeah. and what do they do? Yeah. They gather around food. Yeah. But it's not about the food. Nope. It's about the culture around the food. Yep. And when you talked about this morning about Benedict, and that was so important, yeah. the prayer, and then where we gather to eat. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit, because that is so and I it's huge. And I love that show, too, because I love at the end of the show. I mean, he goes to all these cool places oh. where people have been creative, and they've been generous, yep. and, and Phil shares with all his <laughs> crew, you know, and... <laughs> Uh, but then they get to that last place and he brings everybody together yeah. and it's like they have that shared mm -hmm. experience of sharing a place but also something so so good yeah and I, I kind of think it's that common table idea that I was kind of unpacking a little bit here but in in Benedict's rule which is not a long document mm -hmm. um, it's and it's good to read it, I think, with a little bit of a, you can understand all of it, but I mean, it's good to read with a little bit of commentary because you get back on it and go, oh, that's what's, that's what's going on here. Um, it was interesting. In the ancient world, they read to each other at meals. It was a place of hearing. Mm -hmm. So the, both, both the chapel or the altar area, you know, and the table area was a place for hearing. Was the, uh, were they both multi-generational? 
Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep, they're both multi-generational, and um, they would—they had very little, res you know, very little access to a lot of books. It wasn't like they had a, right. but Benedictines were good at keeping mm -hmm. books and collecting books. And part of that is because they were reading and listening people. Uh, but they, yeah, there was actually young people involved in. I mean, from Benedict's rule, you can tell there was young people involved in the community, as well as old, older monks. He's making provisions for younger and older in the rule. And there's um, there might be just as much talking about the shape the table takes as the shape the altar life takes, um, about who should go first, and about portions, and about um, the time of day, about discipline. There's discipline. There is reasons for exclusion from the altar, and there's reasons for exclusion from the table. And there's very clear ways of, of overcoming those, yeah. what we would think of as excommunication. Mm -hmm. There's liturgy at the altar and there's liturgy at the table. Um, so yeah, they, they, they mirror each other quite a bit. Um, and they also provide roles almost everybody's got a role a seller or you know who's in charge of the seller and you know i don't know if they have a sous chef but i mean it's like everybody's kind of got a yeah. job and in the chapel too there's lectors and there's deacons and he doesn't make much of a deal about priests actually about or the ordained i mean it's more of a mm -hmm. a brotherhood in some ways than than a hierarchical thing but what what's the foundational principle of it all is it that that we should live together in community mm -hmm. with each other? Yeah. Is that really the, the foundational piece of it? Yeah, yeah, that, that for God to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, we have to be in the vicinity of other people. Mm -hmm. We have to be, you know, and, I mean, the, biblically speaking, the basic unit of that is family is my view. I mean, that mm -hmm. a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I mean, I think that's the first community. But that there's other, there's other forms of community, too, um, like the monastic house, where God accomplishes that ongoing sanctifying work in us, wearing off the rough edges. Um, what Rowan William calls habituating charity, you know, just giving charity to one another again and again and again, that that becomes a practice <laughs> 70 times seven and getting to know, well, I, I think it's back to just what we were talking about at the beginning of the community thing, like actually being known, mm. knowing and being known. Yeah. The very first word of the rule of St. Benedict is asculta, which is pay attention or listen. That's important. That's the very first word. Mm. And then through the rule, what you see is this pay attention to the word. Pay attention to the abbot. Pay attention to each other. Pay attention to the guest because it's actually Jesus you're hosting. Mm. But it's also not without definition. It's almost like the homeless thing. We're coming back full circle. You know, he's, a, he, he's funny with guests. He's, it's not there's no, it's not interminable with guests. It's, 
welcome them for, I think it's seven days. <laughs> and then welcome but then them basically <laughs> welcome them to leave because unless, unless they're like an inquirer mm -hmm. coming to like check out joining this house, they're going to start to influence this house. This house actually has a culture and the culture can influence a guest. Mm. But if the guest stays too long, the guest can influence the culture. So the, and that, that isn't a positive thing. If, if they haven't bought into the same rule mm -hmm. as the rest of the culture. Um, so they're, yeah, that, that's kind of interesting to me too. And then when a, when a monk leaves, they, they always, they're like, it's effusive, the prayers for a monk when they're about to go out into the great wide open, you know, or they have a task to go do. Everybody get around, pray for this guy, you know, he's going into, he's leaving a culture, this kind of cloistered, though it's porous more in the Benedictine way, but um, he's leaving this thing and he's going to be in who knows what kind of cultures when he goes out there. And then they pray for that monk at every prayer service. And still to this day, you know, if you go to midday prayer at the Benedictine Monastery, at the end of the service, they pray for our departed brethren. And for years, I thought they were praying for dead people. Well, that's what I assumed Yeah. As well. <laughs> but they're, they're praying for so the ones who have on? departed right. the, and not just left the monastery, but are on a mission. They're teaching at the university or they're doing an art display down at this thing because they have the they have the capacity they're not in our culture right now they're in the artist colony culture in the next town over and as wonderful as that might be it's still not our culture you know what i mean and so we got to pray for our departed brethren i really I, I, a benedictine might call your thing and can correct me but uh they it says in the rule to to pray at, at the prayer services for those who aren't present with them so i'm quite sure that's what it is <laughs> That's crazy. We think about that with our kids. You know, you think send our kids to culture. What are we or to college? What are we concerned about? They're going to pick up. Yeah. Well, the, the culture, the culture. infiltrating them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know about that sports team because it's a cultural a culture issue. You know, do I want them to pick up the the party scene or whatever? I don't know. So. So speaking of children, yep. you have four. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things my wife and I have noticed about your children, I mean, you're, you're a pastor, yeah. you are the kid of a pastor, yeah. your wife is the daughter of a pastor. Yeah. Our son married a pastor's your daughter. Son, your kid married <laughs> from Canada, but... Oh, but still. So, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that seems to be um, easy to happen is children of pastors run away from God. Your kids have the appearance, at least, yeah. um, of still being true mm. and driven toward God. Yeah. What did you do? Mm. Gosh, I think it gets back to the very beginning about fathering in the church. I mean, I don't see it much different in a way. It's like, and thank God. I just have to take a moment to say that because, you know, it's John who says, I have no greater joy than to see my children are walking in the truth. I feel that. <laughs> Um, just a lot of forgiveness of sins. I mean, it sounds so, I'm Lutheran, you know, but I mean, to just never stop talking about that. I know it can almost feel a little formulaic in preaching and in other ways, but for me to keep confessing my sins to them, for them to keep, you know, 
that it's a environment where where the forgiveness of sins is is known i think that also creates a culture it doesn't it, sin doesn't surprise us and i do think in a lot of even christian well i've even noticed we have some people in our 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 community who were like first generation converts and their lives were changed really I'm thinking Jesus movement people, even in yep. Southern California. That's a huge, huge influence. And the theology that often came with that was kind of um, always fr inspecting your fruit. You know what I mean? I remember I talked to one woman who was from the Jesus movement days, you know, and her husband was kind of just not great. And she's like, there's no way he can be saved, is there? I mean, a saved person would never act like this. And I'm just like, I've seen saved people work at, act worse than that. You know what I mean? Like, not to compare, but like, but sin surprised her. Um, and of course, there's things that surprise and disorient us. And we grieve, sin grieve, we, we grieve over sin. It's because of how messy it makes our lives. And but I think the living in that living in that forgiveness helps helps them be human in a way. I mean, in the way we think of our experience of humanity. I know Jesus was human and he didn't sin, but in our experience of human of having limits, Jesus had limits as a human. That wasn't a surprise. It was um, the real real life, and so I think. I think the way I've, if I have done anything to keep my kids Christian, it's that I've been a really good sinner and they've been able to be really good sinners <laughs> and forgiven. Um, well, and, and I presume that you have tried to be the same person at home or in yeah. the church. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that so integrity, that sense of integrity. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not wearing a mask. Yeah, I'm really cognizant of them there and listening. I mean, it's, and my, my wife too, most, even this week, you know, I just said, it's really hard for me to talk about this. I said, if I was giving any advice up in that room, that would be hard. But since I can be vulnerable in that room, I can do it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so if I was doing a marriage retreat this weekend, I'd be like, I am out. I can't do <laughs> But uh, I think integrity, I mean, and I mean, not to underestimate habits. Mm -hmm. We have been, let's say, a liturgical family in the sense that we pray before meals. We have not been a super pious family, if I'm honest. We've tried. <laughs> Bible stories and Jesus Storybook Bible when the kids were young. Blessing our kids at night was almost universal. Just quick blessing. We put the sign of the cross on their forehead. Um, it's touch. It's love. It's a good way to end the day. I don't know that it's magic, but the habit is well, meaning kinda, making. Well, it kind of refocuses the mind, if nothing else. It yeah. helps recenter back to, yeah. yeah, we're back to God Identity. again. Yeah. yeah, and who we are. You know, you talked about the prodigal son today yeah. also. And, you know, he left, did all the stuff, yeah. and then was ashamed. Yeah. And wanted to be just a worker. Yeah. Yeah. 
He wasn't just a worker. Yeah. Yeah. He was, even though he had abandoned his family, yeah. he was still son. Yeah. And welcomed back. Yeah. Such a powerful, I mean, it's like that story just never ends in our life, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because you, you kind of tied that into the, the concept of belonging. Right. Um, so it, is that idea continually reminding, like us continually reminding our children of who they really are, no matter what you are? Yeah. We've been so kind of interested in personality stuff, you know, recently too, and how much of it is shaped by who cares really but I mean birth order or just by nurture nature by but recognizing we all kind of scrape together a story of survival um, that looks different one from another you know for someone it's I, I, I belong because I can make jokes at my own expense um, for another it's I can I can survive because I'm the most creative one in the room or or I'm the, or people are afraid of me. I challenge everything, you know what I mean? And it's a survival mechanism or um, just all these different ways of tactics kind of of survival and the disarming thing at some point, hopefully in our life. I mean, when we realized that it really wasn't any of those things, it wasn't that story, but it was being involved in, a, in the story of God's grace and Jesus Christ. Um, that was our belonging. And it's weird because it doesn't mean that our personalities are totally different then, but I mean, I, I do feel, even in my own personality, which, you know, tends toward, like I said, nostalgia and people-pleasing, the neurotic side of that, sometimes it rages again, but usually I can kind of see it coming and go, no, I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? That, that old story did not work. and that belovedness and belonging, you know, to Abba is, is, is much more, is much more settling and securing. And I can live out of that identity in a way that's more con compassionate with the people around me yeah, I think my, our, we also were on mission together, I'd say, our, and we didn't expect it. I mean, we told our kids, we knew they were, we lived right next door to the church. We do today? We, we still do. Okay. Uh, it's like a church house. Mm -hmm. um, we knew that we could overdo it in a way. We didn't believe from a philosophical point that we should have church people involved at church every night of the week anyway. So that was a culture change at our church because it used to be like, if you're a real Christian, you had to be there every night of the week. Um, but we also didn't want that for our kids. So we kind of said in our family, we go to church. That's because we're Christian, not because I'm a pastor. But uh, we don't expect you to go to every service and um, we think a mark of discipleship is serving. So it'd be great if you ask the Lord where you're gifted to serve. And, but we don't expect to use you as like slave labor, unpaid slave labor for the clergy, you know. And 
I don't know, I, the space that was created, like our son Sam, who's just a, to me, a rock star, you know, leader here at camp this week. I'm so, like, <laughs> impressed with him. He was the one most out of all the three that was like, one service is good. I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I remember him even saying, because they went to a, um, they went to a, like a Missouri Synod parochial school, mm. our kids did, down the street. And they had more of a snappy service in terms of like in and out, much, you know, much shorter sermon, and they had donuts. And he's like, when I'm old enough, I'm going to Christ Lutheran. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, over time, I mean, they just found their, they found their place. And it, I do feel like, and I don't think that can even be expected. It's just, it's a blessing that we've experienced that we're, we've kind of been on mission together. It feels like in our neighborhood, where I kind of feel like a team. That's great. Yeah. But if it was different, it wouldn't have been terminal. If, if one of the kids wanted to just be a normal Christian, that would have been okay. Not, you know, wouldn't have had to been on the big Hoff team that way, but yeah. That's good. Um, You've started a, a new thing out there with youth, yep. young adults, um, and kind of building on this concept of community and yeah. living in community yeah. at some level. Yeah. What does that look like? And kind of yeah. pitch that just slightly. Yeah. I want to know what that is. Yeah. So the context of our town is we're in a, I, I would call it an urban area. There's mixed housing. You know, there's some single family dwelling, but a lot of um, apartments or triplexes. It's an old town. Is there industry in the town? Or There's industry. It kind of it's a another... it's a port town. Okay. So it's a, the port provides most of the industry of our town. Longshoremen is the big union, and then we're close to aerospace. Um, so that's the and then tons of teachers and normal things that are in every town. At our church, we have a lot of teachers. But the and then we have tight streets, not enough parking anywhere busy buses, power lines. It's not, it's LA, it's not manicured like uh, Orange County. It's not a planned community at all. <laughs> There's alleys. The alleys are either redone or really bad. Take your life into your hands driving down them. And uh, so that's the context. And the, the vibe is mobile, that people are coming and going. And so I'm sure part of that and then part of my own story of just that kind of mobility said, how do we, how do we cultivate stability in this town, especially among young adults who, think, who seem to think their only options are leave mm -hmm. or smoke pot and play video games all the time. <laughs> and uh, so that's when we, you know, about we'll, we'll start our fifth year this, this, just this month, end of this month. Um, said, what if we took, what if we had a community that actually took community seriously, you know, instead of just being kind of drop in glorified youth group. So we'd shape our life in a, some common ways together. We'd be praying at similar times. We'd be reading the Psalms together. We'd be praying the daily text. It'd be part, become part of our conversation, the prayer, our prayer life together. Uh, we'd have certain ways that we we're just mutually committed to in regards to reconciliation remembering the Sabbath day and working in a way that lives out of that uh, in terms of hospitality. So uh, in terms of how we manage 
our own bodies and sexuality and so it, it, it gets kind of pretty deeply biblical I'd say in that in that way and so what we do is we present that way of life at the beginning of every school year and then we have a time in end of October beginning of November where we say if you'd like to sign on to this way of life for this year this school year and so this is like presented in a normal service like to the it's, congregation it's presented on wednesday nights or okay. in a retreat we've done it both ways so we'll either do a series of wednesday nights mm -hmm. which then the young adult community continues on those same wednesday nights throughout the whole year or we'll go away on a retreat but we've had a hard time with it since we have like 33 now it's a little harder to get on retreat and it's also hard for new people to commit to a retreat when they when it all kind of sounds like a cult to begin with. <laughs> and we're like, it's not a cult. And then they go, that's just what a cult would say. <laughs> no, but we don't, we don't, you know, we don't share all our belongings. We don't, you know, but uh, we do have this kind of shape that we want our life to take for this year. And uh, so we have commitment to that. Then we continue meeting every Wednesday night. That's open to anybody, both okay. members of the community as well as other guests who want to come. Uh, and we, we've tried, we, at first we didn't have that. We just had the community met every week. We're like, it's not a cesspool, but it's kind of like a no input output. Mm -hmm. we, we know that God's called us to some kind of evangelical way of life and outreach way of life, service way of life and welcome way of life. So how do we live into that? So it's a mixed community of people who've made commitment to that rule of life. And then, you know, some who yeah. are exploring. That's okay. They kind of know though, you know, and the interesting thing is people know I'm a member of the Theta community. It's called the Theta community. Um, or no, this year I'm not a member of the Theta community. Then on Wednesday nights, we do a rotation. We do, we always eat together um, at 6 p.m. and we spend an hour eating together. So that's longer than most mm -hmm. things. We don't rush. With the intention to just allow linger, conversation. Laugh, mm -hmm. tell stories. And we eat with just a long table. Okay. We stack a bunch of tables together and just eat. <laughs> you know banquet style the every the 33 participants are broke up into what are called in integration groups sometimes those are around like this last year there was there was about five married couples in in that group in that theta group so they had like a married integration group and some of their things were more geared toward what this how the shape this takes in their marriage Others were like older career, not older, but I mean like in their late 20s, right. career women type thing. So they kind of had something more in common than a high school senior. So we do a little bit of that in the integration group time. Then the integration groups are almost like serving groups too. They, one integration group is in charge of the meal for this time. So we're not providing anything for this. The church isn't. People in the Joy and I aren't. It's totally, we'd give some structure, mm -hmm. you know, but like last year, you know, it's the guys integration group and they're like, what are we going to cook? So they just had like cereal banquet night. So they just brought every kind of cereal and it was great. You know what I mean? It's just fun. And, um, but it's a chance for us to care for each other. 
there's celiac people in our group and there's nut allergy people and there's lactose intolerant as every in every group there is so there's a chance at that kind of common meal to care for each other yeah. in a way and to have some personality mm -hmm. sometimes there's a group that's just kind of full of gourmets you know and they make something really fun and fancy and but yeah we'd linger around the meal then we we sing together a couple different people are involved in that um brenna actually who's on staff here this oh, yeah? year she was in charge of the worship organization sometimes she'd lead worship sometimes someone else would lead but our main goal is not huge professionalism during that time just yeah. getting together and singing, and then and then we have kind of a rotation. After that singing, we one week we do a teaching night. And I teach the first year, and then we have a second year. And if, you're, if you've been around for three years, the second year is always changing. So, mm. so it's an, it, you can be a part of it every year between 19 and 29 and not get the same teaching twice so That's cool. like they do the yeah. they'll just do a book study like the elimination of hurt ruthless elimination of hurry or mm -hmm. um, yeah I don't have to go through the list but a great they'll do they'll go through a great book together so, so every night there is fellowship there's fe always there's always food there's always worship teaching is about once every three weeks okay so not every Wednesday is a okay and then the next week will be integration group night where they'll break up into those groups. Okay. They'll either talk about what they've been learning in the book or maybe it's a group of people that are in first and second year and they'll talk about some aspect of the rule of life. There's, I have five questions that go with each of the rule of life things. They'll just kind of say, how is this working out in my life? Yeah. How's it, where is it challenging me in stewardship or sexuality or in technology, you know, that kind of thing. And then the third week, the third week in the rotation is an activity night. And so there'll be an activity committee kind of that says we're playing, we're playing dodgeball on the lower parking lot for an hour. <laughs> or we're going to go look at the lights down at, yeah. So where is the, like, is this a people that are in, like, in a part of the church are open to this? Or people that are in the community, people from around the country. Who's the, who's your target? For the Theta community, yeah. it's it's people locally, yeah. But as far as interns and those are a part that we're open. We'd love to have people from anywhere. It's 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 trended more from people outside. Though every year we've had someone from from our local community. So, and that, that's worked pretty good. It has, uh, we're, it's attractive for someone too that lives back here to come back there for a year. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. they, might, they might think, I probably don't want to live in Los Angeles for the rest of my life, but I kind of like to live there for a year. Yeah, see, exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there's been some kind of some draw from cold, so cold areas. The interns that you yeah. house, yeah. Um, is that a deliberate program that you have established? Yes, and then the interns are kind of the what we call residential members of the community. I'm okay. just describing the Theta community. They live on campus. We have an apartment house right across the street that the church owns. Uh, we have a guy's, for lack of a better term, apartment and a gal's apartment. Um, this last year we had a seminary and apartment too because we had a few seminarians that we were housing as well. So we were using three apartments. And 
the yeah they live on campus they don't get any money from trinity they don't give any money to trinity except what they might give in their offering okay. so there's no money that changes hands um in exchange for in exchange for housing you know and then the internship program which is mentoring mm -hmm. regular spiritual direction from an outside spiritual director and uh uh, we don't promise any food, but it ends up being actually a lot of board too. Um, in exchange for that, they give 20 hours a week okay. in service to the congregation, the local community. So, and they become a. I w we used to call it the core, the core members, but now the the local members are the long. They're there year after year at our young adult community. So we're really welcoming. It used to be the interns welcoming young adults yeah. now it so really has turned this last That's year we cool. saw a turn where the local and established mm -hmm. people in our community welcomed the interns yeah. that was weird it, but it was awesome i think it was a good that was a good move it showed some stability um in our in our community so uh, where can people find out oh good yeah how, how to get the information on that <laughs> thank you for asking that <laughs> right. uh so our church is trinity san pedro and that's our website trinity san pedro.org t-r-i-n-i-t-y-s-a-n-p-e-d-r-o.org okay. you could backslash internship backslash theta to see yeah, more about the community t-h-e-t-a -E that's a greek letter for the th sound and we think of it as trinity house so okay. we want that household imagery so that's theta t-h-e-t-a so you can look at those on our website and see more about uh, those those programs but the the internship has hit a couple niches people looking for a gap year i would say mature people who have graduated from high school mm -hmm. that want to make the most of their next season of life but they don't want to waste meandering around in college. We've had a few in that category that have been a huge gift. Mm. And it's been a gift for them because they kind of get a year, try on some stuff, and they enter into their freshman year of college or whatever they're doing next, a little bit more oriented to, to their life. Well, and probably more grounded in who they are. That identity thing yeah. is so, I mean, so valuable. Others, the the more often than not lately it's been someone right at the end of their college they just graduate and they come okay someone who's coming this year did two years of college and went i don't quite think that's my thing i think i might want to be a pilot so he's going to do internship on we we stack the hours on wednesdays and sundays so it makes the rest of the week open for jobs oh so they're encouraged to actually get local job like that's how they're encouraged would be live. a software we like we <laughs> sometimes we're like how do we require it because it's like the part of our goal is balancing a real life with the Christian life that it, our goal isn't a retreat really or a, but how do we live a real life with with in a Christian way so yeah either online school or or if they're local students um, so they, they don't take classes on Wednesdays or Sundays because uh, those are the days we work together and learn together Cool. Yeah, we pray together every day. We pray at 8.30 in the morning and we pray at 8.30 at night, except on Saturdays. Uh, and we always say, if you're working, no problem. If you're in school, no problem. I mean, but we say, if you're on the block, 
we all join together in prayer. And even if you're working, still read the psalm for the night. It's on your own. Put it on, put it on audio or whatever. And so that's, that's a bit of the shape of our year. We have a lot of fun together. You know, the beach is a mile away. That's rough. That's pretty rough. And there's just, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun community. This next year we'll have six interns. Add to that a few former interns that have continued to live on the block, staff that live on the block. Turns into about six, seven, eight, nine, and then our, our house hold. So another four at our house, so. So it is, it is a little block community. It's a block. That's cool. It's a block. Yeah, we have a joint text message to the blockies. <laughs> There's a weird guy on the corner, watch out, you know, and that is a common one, you know. There, we're, like I said, it's an urban setting, so we look out for each other. A lot of catalytic converters that have gotten stolen, so we have to figure out a, <laughs> a better parking way in our parking lot. We go, go, we go together. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, you also write um, yes. a Substack, correct? I do. Substack newsletter. What just is under that Nathan, Nathan Hoff. Okay. Search Nathan Hoff. Is that regular or just kind of periodically as you have? It, it's a little fits and starts. I wish it was a little more regular. I'm writing it right now. I'm in an educational program that's causing me to write a lot. And so I've noticed I used to be on blogger and I would write a lot more frequently. And now, now I'm, I'm not quite as frequent, but it's a free thing. Um, yeah. And it, other things that I, I do, I would mention there on Substack too, so that would be a good good connection point. And then are you on social medias at all? I am. I'm on... Do you want people following you there? Is that... <laughs> you could. I don't know if it's going to be as reliable as... I hope Substack is a little more reliable because I don't find my own... I don't find my own idolatries and proclivities provoked by <laughs> Substack as I do with the others. And so, you know... Every week, I think about giving up Facebook, but I am on Facebook. <laughs> right, we all <laughs> Maybe do. more than every week. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of idols, and just this last thing I want to have you touch on a minute was, you did explain well this morning the, the idea of idols that we hold, yeah. and that if it becomes our priority and our time, then it's, you know, and, and it will, I think you said it will kill you yeah. eventually. Yeah. Break that up a little bit. Yeah. The, the helpful, you know, there's a couple of different ways of looking at it. And I, I mean, all the reformers are actually really helpful on this. Calvin is so helpful. You've got a son, Calvin, but I mean, he's so good on idolatry, just as the, was the human heart is the f idol factory, you know, we're cranking stuff out of our heart all the time, making idols and Luther's similar. I mean, like the, anything we, anything we worship and adore is and love can become an idol. Well, if it's worshiped as an idol for sure. Um, small g God. And I've been playing with this idea of altar because we're, when Benedict came to his, uh, the high place where he built his abbey, Monte Cassino, he found two pagan temples. And the interesting, I didn't go into this this morning, but he didn't have hardly any resistance when he tore down the temples. Other, other if you think of, um, another story is uh, St. Uh, St. Lawrence, who was before Benedict, I think. They almost killed him for tearing down pagan temples. I mean, he got into trouble. You think messing with pagan temples, you're going to get in big, big trouble. Some, some commentators say it's because they think that the 
the pagans were kind of tired of what they were worshiping. Oh, they were looking for something. They were actually kind of exhausted by what the, and they weren't getting any bang for their buck or whatever in the temple to Apollo. And I forget what the other temple was too. So he didn't meet much resistance except from the devil. Actually, I mean, Gregory, when he talks about it in his biography, says the evil one was sitting on the rock, you know, and they needed to get it out, not just by, by uh, muscle power, but by, by prayer. But so he, he tore down an altar to build an altar. And I think what we think oftentimes, religiously, spiritually, is that we build an altar. Or we come to a world that's empty of altars, that we build one. But I think the insight I get from my own life and from Benedict and from paying attention for a while is that we actually come to a world full of altars. That it's like, it's more like the Areopagus that Paul went to with all these different altars, including one to an unknown God in that case. And those altars have different titles. It could be youth sports. It could be the gym, physical fitness. It could be, um, it could be self care. Um, it could be a bunch of things that aren't bad. It's not bad to take care of yourself and it's not bad to go to the gym or it's not youth sports aren't bad in themselves. When they become an altar, they really do because they demand your life. They demand your life. And I think the, the most helpful thing is a sports imagery because we've become so aware of the the tyrannical demands of pro sports or Olympic sports so much so that Olympians themselves go I got to take a break this I'm actually going to skip because my own mental health or you know swimmers gymnasts football players who was the Andrew Luck I think from the was it the Colts you know who had a many more good years in front of him and he was doing well he didn't get out because he was doing poorly but he was doing poorly you know there's mental health stuff going on and family stuff and when they asked him what he regretted i mean he got booed his last memory nfl memory after being value-added quarterback is getting booed by your fans as you walk off and they asked him what do you regret expecting him to say, I wish I would have kept going for a few more years. And he says, I wish I would have retired earlier. Mm. (laughs) I mean, and he didn't use the same language, but basically what I heard him say is it was an altar. Mm -hmm. It, it demanded my life and it was killing me. It was killing my family. I was, he was a, he said he was a control freak. He said he'd take his teammates out for a meal and he would order everybody else's meal. Really? I mean, how weird is that? You know, he just said, I, he, and, he, and looking at it now with a little more distance, he goes, I was, I was crazy. I mean, like I was a control freak, uh, but that's who I became. It consumed me. And an altar will consume. You know, I mean, that's just, that's what altars do. The thing is, are you in the hands of someone, a, a gracious altar or a not gracious one, I think. And that's the unique thing about God's altar is it does consume us, but but it's a it's it's a gracious de- demanding god a god who makes demands that he actually fulfills right i mean you think of the mount Car- we're at mount carmel camp right now and you think of the mount carmel scene with elijah and all the prophets of baal and they have their they have their altar oh, yeah. but they're they're the ones that are on it they're cutting themselves they're yeah. yelling and screaming and what happens at 
Elijah's altar is God provides yeah. the fire. So, yeah, I look at our altar and what's on our altar? The body and blood of Jesus. I mean, that, that this is speaking really particularly, but I think it's actually a real human issue the issue of altars. I mean, I, I, listening to sports, professional sports people really makes me think it's very relevant. Yeah. The issue of altars. It is. It's, it's weird. I've, I've struggled with uh, the celebration of sport, organized sport, you know, with having killed kids. And I mean, I, I could say luckily, which, you know, probably am, um, none of them have been terribly, you know, into it. And so I haven't had to go that route. Um, but I have a lot of family and friends that do. And they are, their lives are dictated by this sport. Yeah. And, you know, my first question is to what end? Yeah. You know, what are you going for? Yeah. Um, how is this going to improve your life yeah. as an adult? Uh, are you missing out on family? Are you missing out on things that children are supposed to do? Uh, right. So there's that balance. There. Right, because if it's play, it's awesome. Totally. There's, uh, we could use play, but when play gets co-opted into performance-driven, yeah. then it's not play anymore. I mean, it's not fun anymore. How many kids go, I don't want to do this really, but I feel like I have to, or, I, or I'm living out the dreams of my parents. Well, that, maybe that actually that. came to mind when you were talking about that this morning. You brought that up, and I, I was thinking, you know, why, why do we do it? Well because dad couldn't do it well, and so you're gonna do it, yeah. my God, we're right. gonna get you there. Yeah. <laughs> so I can feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and my line has become like, if the soccer pitch is a pitch, it's good, but if it's an altar, it'll kill you, you know? If the gym is a gym, it's great. If the swimming pool is a swimming pool, that's great. I think it just goes to anything. If work is work, it's great, actually. Work is a huge gift. But if work is an altar, mm -hmm. it, it'll kill you. I mean, if, yeah, and then we just turn everything into performance orientation. It, I don't, it's not fun for me anyway, but maybe it is for some people. <laughs> well, Pastor Nathan Hoff, I appreciate you sitting down in this fabulous place to have a chat. This has been a dream. I love talking about all this. Thanks for caring about it. Absolutely. It's, it, it's fun for me to get into the head of people that uh, are changing the world and as, as small as it might be, or big, uh, it's making a difference. So I am very appreciative of your time, and thank you. Well, I think your, your posture of like curiosity and what, what interests me is a winner. I mean, I actually think the posture of curiosity, if we went back to earlier in a conversation about goodwill, places where there's, I think curiosity is humility, actually. It means, Tell me something I don't know. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. What's your view? How have you been paying attention to the world? So kudos on that. Thank you. Thanks again, Pastor Nathan, for sitting down with me in this beautiful weather. Uh, it's, it was an outdoor conversation, so I apologize if the, the background noise was distracting at all. Uh, it made for a great environment to have the conversation, so I really appreciate it. Uh, Pastor Nathan, for taking the time. TrinitySanPedro.org is the website for the church that he pastors for the last 18 years. 
on Substack, nathanhoff.substack.com. I encourage you all to read that. Uh, I am encouraged today by what I've heard. So thank you all for listening. Remember, theinterviewpodcast.org is where you can find the rest of the conversations we've had and also where you can help support this show. If you got value out of it and you decide that value has a dollar amount attached to it, send it back our way and we appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Have a fantastic week.